This is a CBC podcast. Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics podcast for January 29th. The House of Commons returns for the new year. Housing Minister Sean Fraser is here to lay out the government's priorities. And the investigation into possible foreign meddling in Canada's elections begins. But just how much can the public inquiry make public? The Power Panel digs into that question. We begin with breaking news from the federal government out just last hour. It is seeking another delay to the expansion of its medical assistance in dying law. It's supposed to be broadened to include those suffering from mental illness, but a special parliamentary committee recently found the health care system needs more time to prepare. We agree with the conclusion uh, that the committee has come to, uh, that the system is at this time not ready uh, and more time uh, is required. Uh, we will be tabling a parliamentary response uh, in, the, uh, in the coming days. It's essential that this be done right uh, and that for somebody who's trapped in decades of suffering, um, that yes, they'd be given if, if, of their own volition and choice after decades of trying everything. If they believe there's nothing left for them and they're in an absolute state of mental torture and hell, then they want to be able to make that decision. But we have to make sure that it's limited to those circumstances and that we have proper controls and that uh, the system is ready. The federal health minister could not confirm how long this second delay could last, but said that answer would come in the days ahead. Now, as Parliament returns, the Liberal government is trying to make the case that it's addressing issues that are most important to Canadians. And topping that list, the housing crunch. Today, Housing Minister Sean Fraser announced the expansion of a loan program to build student housing. But that announcement didn't stop opposition parties from going after the Liberals in the House of Commons. The Prime Minister is quadrupling the carbon tax, doubling housing costs, and giving the worst inflation in 40 years. They have been in power for nine years, and they don't get it. Why does this government wait until things are at a breaking point before acting? Earlier today, I spoke to the Minister about his announcement. Sean Fraser is the Minister of Housing, Infrastructure, and Communities, and he joins me now. Minister, welcome back to the show. A pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Let's start with your announcement today, extending this low-interest loan program to build student housing. How quickly will this be up and running? Uh, Well, we expect that we're going to have uh, uh, the program open this year, uh, but it's important to understand why we need to do this. Uh, Student housing doesn't just help students find places that's more affordable near class. It opens up housing supply that already exists within communities. What I hear when I talk to people in college and university towns across Canada is that students both need a place to find close to their class, but when students come in and make a community more vibrant and dynamic, they also put pressure on the local rental market. We can help address this by opening up local cost loans to colleges and universities and others who will build homes on or near campus to help address both of these challenges. So so how many student housing spaces do you think this this will create and how quickly will we see them? Well, the program is going to be responsive to demand that we hear from the home building sector, so it's hard to uh, say with certainty, Uh, but it's built upon the apartment construction loan program. So this is a program that's going to offer market-beating interest rates to get money into projects that previously weren't eligible. It's hard to put a number on it until we actually see what the response is from the people who are going to be building homes in university and college towns across Canada. Uh, but I expect we're dealing with a significant number, uh, certainly many, many thousands. Okay, and will we see construction start maybe this year? Are we talking next year? Because as with all housing things, there's a lag. 
So from our perspective, uh, the government's role will be uh, reaching agreements to actually finance the construction of homes. I do expect you will see agreements reached this year and potentially agreements with jurisdictions across Canada to deal with a portfolio of projects. The timelines for actually constructing the homes will depend on market factors, uh, the accessibility of home building companies, the financial models that colleges and universities are going to be dealing with. Uh, but our view is that we're going to be able to conclude the first round of agreements later this year that's going to build many thousands of homes across Canada. Okay, so this kind of builds on what uh, your colleague, Immigration Minister Mark Miller, announced last week when he moved to cap and, and cut international student permits. How much of a factor w w was that growth in international students in causing this student housing crunch? So uh, you've got to understand that there are two things that are happening in parallel. With respect to the financing programs that we put in place today, uh, that would be a good idea with or without the significant increase that we've seen in international student numbers over the past few years. But when you actually look at the changes that Minister Miller has put in place, it's important to understand it wasn't just about housing. There's also serious integrity concerns with the international student program, given the number of people who are seeking to profit personally off the international student program. We tried to sort out solutions with provincial governments to help uh, make sure the system maintained that integrity. But when the numbers continue to grow, and we did see increased pressure in particular on housing, but not only housing, in uh, uh, towns and cities with colleges and universities, uh, we decided to implement one of the measures that we were looking at. Uh, Minister Miller's put that measure in place, and I do expect in uh, communities that have seen uh, thousands of, of, or in some instances tens of thousands, of international students arrive in the fall, it, it might relieve some of the pressure on the housing market. And today's uh, support to actually build more student housing will further alleviate those pressures, not just now, but in the long term. Okay, so this builds on, on the dozens of housing announcements uh, you've made uh, since taking this job. But Minister, as we've seen the dozens of announcements, there have been dozens of polls uh, that suggest that fewer and fewer Canadians think this government is the right government to solve housing problems. So, so why do you think Canadians have lost so much trust in your government and the Prime Minister on this? Well, when we came into office in 2015, there had been a lack of investments for 30 years under both Liberal and Conservative governments. And we made a decision to invest in housing, but primarily a particular kind of housing, affordable housing for low-income families. And we need to continue to do that. But what people are starting to experience when I talk to them in their communities is a new set of problems. They're dealing with a uh, uh, lack of housing affordability for a lot of middle-class families in communities right across the country. So we are doing something new. Uh, we have taken a new approach to reduce the cost of building by getting rid of the GST, by stepping up our investments in affordable housing, by putting money on the table to sign deals with cities, as you pointed to, to permanently change the way that they build homes, and now by extended financing for different kinds of housing. My hope is that Canadians will see that we are actually doing things differently to address the problems that have caused them uh, real anxiety more recently, but importantly, that we're building out the network so a generation from now, we're not actually talking about these same challenges with housing affordability across Canada. These are things that we can do to provide relief in the short term, but this is a problem that we can solve in the long term if we're willing to put our shoulder to the wheel and muster the political will to actually get the job done and build as many houses as we possibly can. You mentioned affordability because it's not just housing, it's affordability, it's the economy, it's climate, all of these are issues that kind of link together, all of these are issues that will really define the next election and the months between now and that next election. What do you need to do to win back all of the support that has seemingly slipped away since last summer? 
Uh, look, David, the best lessons I take in politics are from my neighbors. Uh, when I talk to people who live in my community, who I represent in the House of Commons, uh, they'll tell me what their problems are. Uh, and I need to make sure that we're focused on solving their problems and not necessarily on the back and forth that we have in the House of Commons. When parents in my community tell me they won't take their kids to the grocery store because they're afraid they won't have enough money in their wallet to pay for what's in their cart, I know that we have to put measure forwards. It's going to restore reasonable prices in the grocery store and Minister uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne has uh, recently put measures forward in addition to the grocery rebate we established a number of months ago. When it comes to housing, people tell me whether it's trying to get into their first home as an owner or to find a place to rent or to find a place near where they go to school, they need help with the government to solve this problem systemically. That's why we're cutting the cost of home building by reducing taxes. It's why we're putting money on the table to build affordable housing. It's why we're incentivizing changes at municipal levels. My sense is if we want to restore faith amongst Canadians, uh, we need to listen to them and we need to respond and do things differently uh, where they're telling us we need to do things differently. Housing provides an excellent example of how we've pivoted to be more aggressive to solve problems that exist today, but not take our eyes off the prize, which is actually solving these social problems that have the potential to persist if not uh, attended to. So, so, Minister, the House is back today, but also the foreign interference inquiry also started today. And I know this is not your portfolio, but it's a cabinet concern because members of a human rights coalition that represents some targeted diaspora groups, they're threatening to withdraw over concerns that politicians accused of having links to China have full standing at this inquiry. How worried is the cabinet? How worried is the government that this inquiry could be getting undermined before it even begins? Um, look, I've been through a number of uh, processes that involve uh, uh, public inquiries over my, the course of my time in, in politics. And my sense is that we need to ensure that the public has faith that the process will be conducted uh, in, a, in a fair and transparent way that will allow people appropriate levels of participation. Uh, my view is that we still have the opportunity to have the inquiry provide meaningful feedback uh, to uh, underscore some of the challenges that may exist today and, importantly, uh, provide a path forward that will allow us to address some of the challenges challenges when it comes to foreign interference going forward. I'm going to work closely with my colleagues who have conduct of the file, uh, but my view is that we have a process that will be able to provide the results that we intend. As a final point, though, Minister, I mean, you saw how this kind of derailed the conversation here in Ottawa, how it derailed the government's agenda last year. I, I mean, can you, can you really afford to have this start with uh, criticism and, and not proceed uh, with a level of support by, by diaspora groups in particular? Uh, I think we need to remain engaged with the diaspora communities that express concerns over these kinds of things. Uh, you'll remember well as an Atlantic Canadian, David, the importance of having families participate when it came to a public inquiry over the mass casualties that uh, families and communities suffered in my home province of Nova Scotia. Uh, by continuing to engage with communities who are impacted by the decisions and by the process, I believe we're going to be able to have a process that will provide meaningful results, and I'm going to continue to engage with my colleagues to ensure that's the case. Sean Fraser, Minister of Housing, Infrastructure and Communities. Thanks for your time today. Thanks so much. A long-awaited public inquiry is now underway in Ottawa. It's looking into alleged foreign electoral interference in the 2019 and 2021 federal elections. Commissioner Marie-José Og leading the proceedings. The Commission lawyers and I are neutral and impartial. We represent the public interest and our goal is to uncover the truth, whatever it may be. You will note throughout its work that the Commission Council will work together with the lawyers of the participants, be they parties or interveners. This is standard practice in the Commission of Inquiry. Everyone must work towards the same goal, understanding what happened 
learning from it, and making recommendations for the future. The inquiry's first item of business is to figure out what it can and cannot talk about publicly. And for more on the first day of hearings, the CBC's Karina Roman joins me now. Okay, Karina, what did we hear today? So in that opening statement that Justice Og uh, gave, she talked about how serious these allegations are of political uh, and foreign interference, uh, whether we're talking China, Russia, India, or another state or non-state actor. And so she said it is going to be their task to figure out what happened and what the repercussions were for our elections, uh, the flow of information, what was the flow of information like within the government. Um, and that's what she said was where the main big challenge for her commission uh, comes into play, because this is a public inquiry, but so much of the information before it is going to be classified. Uh, and so they have to figure out how uh, they go about figuring out what remains secret and what can be made public with the goal of being as transparent as possible. And one of the commission lawyers uh, today said, David, that uh, so far, to date, 80% of the submissions that have come to the uh, commission, to the inquiry that they've received, are of a classified nature. And 80% of those are top secret or higher uh, in terms of classification. So that just gives you the sense of the scope of what they're dealing with. Uh, and so they'll be hearing from national security lawyers, experts this week, but also towards the end of the week from the CSIS director, from the public safety minister. Uh, and so that's this week. Uh, then in March, we get into the substance of the whole foreign interference allegations. Uh, there'll be further hearings in September. And then she explained that her final report is due at the end of the year. Okay, it's day one. A lot of controversy led us to here. And as I said, it's day one of this inquiry, and already uh, we're seeing some controversy. Uh, Karina, so tell us about what's going on. Well, let's start with the Conservative Party, which is upset that it was not given full standing at this commission. Now, no, no political party was. The NDP also only has intervener uh, status. Uh, but the government of Canada has full status, and the Conservatives are arguing that that is essentially the same as the Liberal Party. Uh, but uh, Justice Ugg not agreeing with that uh, and, and saying that she is concerned about, you know, politicizing this commission, and so she did not give them uh, a full status, uh, which would have allowed them to see all the information, not just what's made public, uh, and also to question witnesses. But today, in her opening statement, Justice Ogden was very clear that she doesn't want this to become an adversarial process. And so you get a sense that perhaps that's also part of her reasoning. Uh, so the Conservatives saying they're not sure whether how, how willing they are to participate in a process that they now say has been undermined uh, by that ruling that, that they cannot have full standing. Uh, the other problem uh, is that there's a, a sense of worry with the diaspora communities uh, that their security and safety uh, might be at risk if they decide to, to participate and certainly to uh, be witnesses um, and submit information. And the justice did try to address that today, uh, talking about how uh, at, if there's a request for some kind of protection of identity or of information given, uh, that she will consider those requests. And it may lead to uh, going in camera in some considerations. And she said that she will make those decisions before anyone takes the stand so that they know ahead of time uh, what the parameters are. Uh, not sure, however, whether that provides the level of reassurance that those people are looking for. 
Okay, Karina, thank you so much. That's the CBC's Karina Roman here in Ottawa. And we're going to talk more about that last issue because a coalition of human rights groups representing some diaspora groups targeted by China are threatening to boycott the public inquiry into foreign interference. That's if the commissioner allows three politicians with alleged ties to Beijing to have full standing, meaning they can cross-examine witnesses and gain access to confidential testimony. Mehmet Todi is the government coordinator for the Uyghur Canadian Society, one of the groups threatening to withdraw, and he joins me in the studio now. Mehmet, it's good to see you again. Thank you. So you're, you're threatening to withdraw. When, what, is, what would it take to keep you in this process? Uh, uh, to be uh, clear, we are not threatening, just uh, uh, we have a concern. Okay. And as you highlighted, and the safety and security concern, at the same time, there is a strong allegations on certain individuals from the credible national security agency in Canada, and it was on media. And so uh, we also uh, have been a witness on these individuals, especially uh, some uh, members of Senate. Uh, they are echoing exactly the same narrative from Beijing. And when they dismissed the Uyghur genocide in the, Sen in the Senate version discussion, for example, and for that reason, we have a huge concern. And as long as those allegations uh, stand against them, and as long as they are not coming up clean, just we are not uh, feel, feeling ready to make ourselves available before them to question us. So the, the, the three <coughs> politicians we're talking about here are Senator Wu, who's, an, who's a senator uh, that has, has been accused of being sympathetic yeah. to China at minimum. Yeah. Han Dong, the independent MP, who was <laughs> caught up in the revelations uh, last spring. And Michael Chan, yeah. who is now a municipal politician in Ontario. Yeah. You're not willing to be cross-examined by them, have them have access to any of the information you may present? They may have access because our information is public right. and allegations are public and our experiences are known, we issued a report. It is unpublic. That's, uh, our concern is, <coughs> and if, if we look at the statements they made, for example, Handong, the Ontario Member of Parliament, and for Uyghur Canadian communities experienced uh, awful uh, atrocities and uh, disconnect their family members since five, six years. And Uyghur Canadian of St. Jill is in Chinese jail since 17 years. And atrocity crime is already acknowledged by the parliament as a genocide in Canada. Right. And if you look at the whole uh, the record of Handong, he did not raise a single time about the Uyghur genocide issue. Actually, he did not participate. And especially in uh, last year, February 1st, when whole uh, the House voted for the resettlement of 10,000 Uyghur refugees. He was at the Parliament just before the motion, and after the motion, he did not vote. He did not participate. Right. And so, if you look at the, the narrative of uh, Senator uh, Yuan Pao Wu, when he dismissed the Senate version of Uyghur genocide, and it was exactly the same narrative he used uh, as the Chinese mission at the United Nations uh, attacked our ambassador, uh, Bob Ray. So, so how do we reconcile this? Because this inquiry is to look into groups like the Uyghurs who are vulnerable to foreign interference by a foreign state and, and are deserving of protection to operate uh, you know, in this country and in the political process. But these three men have been accused of at least being complicit, if not having benefited from foreign interference. There is a series of unresolved allegations out there. So the two rights are in conflict. So how do we reconcile this in a democracy like Canada where you want your concerns heard but they also want the opportunity to have their names cleared? Uh, they should be resigned from their post and they should go through uh, the, the, the court process or whatever just clean up their name. And they cannot hold th those positions 
and while the serious allegations still stand against them. And we, we are not the one who laid down these allegations. It was on media and it was from the, the, the government agencies and the security, national security agencies. And for that reason, it is their job. They have every platform. One is MP. Uh, they have a strong public platform. So you say resign their position. You mean their political office political or resign office. from their positions? Uh, uh, the their, political their office at the same time, standing, uh, they, they should re- recuse themselves. Okay, but I, I, I don't believe we're going to see a resignation by Han Dong in time yep. to satisfy or, or you know, uh, Senator Wu or by Michael Chan. So, so how, how does this inquiry proceed? I mean, and just as Ugg said today, she'll use her discretion in regards <coughs> to how the inquiry plays out to ensure that people who think they're vulnerable are protected and maybe certain information uh, might be controlled. I mean, is the judge's good word enough? Uh, we will see, and this is just the beginning, and uh, the, this is the, the process for a commissioner to learn the many things, mm-hmm. and uh, the, it takes time. We have uh, nearly a year time uh, before seeing the final report, and uh, the, during this time, uh, the, I think uh, the, the, the view of commissioner and the judgment of the commissioner will change because she will learn many things. And uh, this is, as Commissioner said, this is a serious issue for Canada. It is for our future, our national security, at the same time, safety and security of Canadians, like Uyghur Canadians. And uh, since long time, uh, despite our serious concern we raised since decades, government did not take any action. Right. We came to this point. Now, huge files are before us, and we are going to study it, and we are going to find out the solution. The most importantly, uh, that those people are subject of that allegation should resign and a giveaway for independent inquiry or the process to continue. Right. Now, they all say they've done nothing wrong, right? And, and they all say they're, they're good, loyal Canadians and, and, and the allegations against them are false. And, and so they, they want to have, they have been granted standing at this inquiry for those reasons. And, and as I understand it, uh, because they have official standing and not just intervener status, they'll have cross-examination rights and access to some of the confidential mm-hmm. and perhaps even the classified information within various limits. Um, how do, I, I again see a total impasse there mm-hmm. because I can't see them with their reputations and careers on the line giving that up um, in, in this process. So how do you, I know you took quibble with my use of the word threatening mm-hmm. earlier, but what if you don't get what you want here? Do you participate uh, or do you boycott? No, we would like we, we, we would like to see till Wednesday afternoon and see the whole process, how it plays out. Then uh, the Wednesday afternoon, most likely we are going to withdraw if uh, the nothing changes. And because uh, there is, as I said, uh, there are serious allegations against those individuals that they, are, they, are, they, are, they have d- developed a deep relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. Mm-hmm. And if we look at their actions, not words, they are in line with the, the, word, the narratives of Chinese Communist Party in some cases. So, so short of them accepting these conditions you've laid out, is there something the judge can do to keep your, co- your organization as part of, of this inquiry uh, by Wednesday? Yes, we, we make that decision by ourselves. We will withdraw. Well, is yeah. there something you can hear from her, from yeah. Justice Og, that would satisfy the concerns you have? That maybe not this remedy the, of the yeah. resigning. Is there something she can offer you? Yeah, of in course. Terms of run uh, this, that uh, would uh, make that's, you that's why we are waiting until Wednesday. Right. So what are you hoping to hear from her on Wednesday? This is uh, what I'm wondering about. Just we don't want to be examined and cross-examined by those three individuals, as long as that allegation holds against them. Right. And if they, if they clean up their names, and I would uh, love to sit down with them to have a coffee in somewhere. 
But these, these are the strong allegations, and Uyghur Canadians have been victim of transnational repression. And now when we hear the media and uh, the, the, from the government agencies the alleging that they have a deep ties with the Chinese Communist Party, and they repeat, they repeat the same narrative as came out from Beijing, and mm. that concern is still valid from us. So when you say we will withdraw on Wednesday, does we just mean the Uyghur Canadian Society, Uyghur, or is there more? Uyghur Rights more? Advocacy Project. Right. Yes, I have to correct. Uyghur Rights okay, Advocacy sorry. Project is going to withdraw from the process, and we are not going to participate. Okay, and will any other, because I know there's sort of an umbrella uh, yeah. gr- uh, series of groups there. Has anyone else? Other than uh, the, those organizations, they will make their own decision, and uh, the risk uh, that experienced by the diaspora community is not the same. And Uyghur Canadians are the seriously affected by the transnational oppression. And for that reason, uh, we have every reason to consider uh, every individuals who are going to question us and who are going to see the, the threats and uh, that, that we are facing, if there is any uh, the threat or any information about the possible threat target, targeted us from the government. So we don't want them to see, we don't want them to have access to those information as well. Mehmet Todi with the Uyghur Rights Advocacy Project. Thank you so much uh, for your time today. You're welcome. The House of Commons is back after nearly six weeks away, and the Liberals opened the day with announcements aimed at relieving pressure on the housing supply, plus they renewed their pressure on the Competition Bureau to hold grocers' feet to the fire. Meanwhile, the Conservatives are blocking key proposals of the Liberal plan until there are more carbon tax carve-outs. As the opening day of Parliament comes to a close, it's clear the fiery attacks from the end of the fall sitting are carrying over into this new year. I would like to kick off this parliamentary session by urging all MPs to support the Fall Economic Statement Implementation Act. In this session of Parliament, we will fight to axe the tax, build the homes, fix the budget, and stop the crime. Poiliev has not presented one damn economic policy since he's been there. Why does this government wait until things are at a breaking point before acting? Okay, we're going to bring in the Monday Power Panel. Four people who get along better than those four politicians. We saw Brad Levine is a former communications director for the NDP. Vandana Cotter is a former advisor to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Lisa Raitt is a former federal conservative cabinet minister. And Rob Russo is the former CBC Parliamentary Bureau Chief. Uh, happy Monday, uh, gang. Rob, I wonder what you made of, of the feel of what we saw today. We saw the, the Liberals send a letter to the Competition Bureau, tweak a, a housing loan announcement, and then the surprise announcement on what looks like a fair fairly indefinite delay of the expansion of MAID. I thought the last one was was um, one that a lot of people were waiting for and didn't mm-hmm. expect to come so soon. It's clear, though, uh, from, from what uh, the health minister said, Mark Holland, uh, that this is a temporary pause as far as the Liberals are concerned. It'll be interesting to see if this becomes... Uh, uh, an issue in in an upcoming campaign. Canada has gone very, very quickly on this. Uh, So quickly, the health minister said that there hasn't been enough uh, time to to train people, Mm -hmm. to get people ready. Um, But there seems to be a consensus among among, uh, liberals that... uh, that that uh, uh, mental health is is health uh, and 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 uh, problems with mental health are just just as severe as they are with physical health. Uh, those of us who have familiarity with with mental health problems in our families know that they mm-hmm. the suffering is real. Uh, but for now, it seems it's a bridge too far. But the bridge can is still seen there in the distance as far as the liberals were concerned. I I, I know that the tone hasn't 
changed very much in the House of Commons. And I likely uh, won't. Uh, uh, no. But I was really struck. I, I, I did a little bit of work on uh, Ed Broadbent's funeral yesterday, and I was really struck uh, listening to people talk about uh, what, what it was like when Broadbent was in, uh, was in the Commons, and I was here. Uh, he, I covered his campaign in 1988, the first big right. boy campaign I ever covered. Uh, and I was struck by the difference in tone between what we heard about the people who were involved in politics then and what we heard today. What we heard then was people attacked the ideas and not the man or not, or not the woman very often. You hear a lot of the attacks of the man and the woman now, uh, and it, it, uh, it, uh, it could be starker. Yeah, no, that, that, is, that is definitely true. So, so Vandana, we heard uh, the pitch there from, from the finance minister and the deputy prime minister to try to get everyone to support the uh, fall economic statement implementation measures. The conservatives are not going to do that. And, and now we're getting kind of late word uh, that the New Democrats are not going to support uh, uh, the, the Bill 234 as amended by the Senate and want to send it back with all the carve-outs uh, for farmers that were there. It, it seems like it's going to be another tough legislative agenda. Uh, for the liberals. Yeah, I don't think that's anything that's unexpected. I think given, um, you know, they have a minority government, they have a supply and conflict agreement with the NDP, they will have to negotiate and work with them. But I don't think this is something that they wouldn't have anticipated. Um, what they're going to do, though, is look to show that they can set the agenda, they can drive the agenda and really focus on the issues that Canadians really care about. And they're going to plug probably up on this. They're going to talk about similar at the end of the House of Commons, at the end of the session last year, talking about all the things that they're blocking they're going to say, look, we're a government that's in charge. We're trying to address your needs. But look, these guys are blocking it. Help us. We want our politicians to come together and pass the Fez so that we can deliver for you. Lisa, I wonder what you thought of what Mr. Blanchet said today uh, when, when asked about Pierre Polyev, who's always trying to link the bloc with the liberals uh, in Quebec, you know, suggesting that there's an arrangement there like there is with the New Democrats uh, in, in Parliament. And he, he, he used the D word. He said, Mr. Polyev has entabled one damn economic policy and says he just likes the spotlight on him and he hopes there's a lot of mirrors in Stornoway because he likes seeing himself. It, it was an interesting move to hear the bloc leader go so aggressively after the conservative leader. Probably in response to the fact that uh, Pierre did take a few shots at the block in his speech to his uh, to his caucus the other day, and and it got under the skin a little bit. Maybe they're feeling the heat in Quebec that the conservatives are are rallying in terms of what their support is going to be. I would just say that today is day one of a very long term that's going to take us all the way through to to mid June. And what happens today in the government side probably will change an awful lot between now and June. But I will tell you that I do not see the Conservatives veering one inch off of exactly what Pierre Polyev talked about today in this mm. clip that you provided. And you're going to hear a lot more of the same. And why is that? Because he has the luxury of being in opposition and he doesn't have to produce any economic plans, any policies. It's not in his bailiwick. He doesn't have to do it until the actual election. So, but Brad, there, there is the, the carve-out policy that they, they got through the House of Commons on uh, carve-outs on the carbon tax for farmers, got to the Senate, was amended, sent back, and now New Democrats are telling me that they're going to vote to send it back to the Senate without the changes the Senate put in. So that's going to mean the New Democrats will be siding with the Conservatives on this and, and against the Liberals and, and potentially forcing another carve-out on carbon policy upon a minority government. How do you think that's going to play out? Well, ho hopefully successfully. I'm, I'm, I, I think, I think it's, it's good uh, for the Democrats to do that, to carve out some space 
for themselves uh, in a very busy uh, session. Again, we have, you know, we're, we're not going to have an election anytime soon. So the fact that, that the tone jumped from a very fiery uh, tone at the end of the fall sitting uh, to, to back, back where we were on day one uh, suggests to me that this is going to be a long haul for, uh, for, for our liberal friends because uh, they're, they're going to get it uh, from, from all ends. You know, what's interesting is that, you know, we've had obviously minority parliaments before without such a formal uh, confidence and supply agreement. Uh, the Liberals, you know, you know, uh, you know Paul Martin had, uh, you know, minorities uh, and w- w- was brought down. Liberals don't have that luxury. They don't have a majority, but they're kind of stuck where they, 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 have, they have to keep going uh, unless they want to put a poison pill in this budget. Pharmacare could be uh, that poison uh, pill, like like what uh, John Turner, the finance minister, did in 1974, knowing full well that the, the New Democrats couldn't support uh, that particular budget. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. For Polyev, he's getting very, very granular. He's going after the bloc, as Lisa mentioned. He's also going after the NDP, which I don't think I've seen uh, so fiercely um, uh, in, the, in the air war. They're going after New Democrat seats in the West. They're going after bloc seats in Quebec and liberal seats uh, throughout Ontario. So uh, he's, he's kind of signaled his full uh, attack mode. And it'll be interesting to see how Singh responds. He's got to fight for those seats in, in, uh, in northern British Columbia and, and throughout Western Canada. Yeah, in northern Ontario as well and southwestern Ontario. But, but Vandana, just, uh, just to go back to this, if, if, if the New Democrats do in fact side with the Conservatives to force yet another carve-out uh, uh, for, for farmers from, from the national carbon tax, how do you think the government responds to that? I mean, we, we saw the reporting and had confirmation from the prime minister. He was calling senators beforehand not to let this go through unamended. And now it's back in the House of Commons and his supply and confidence agreement partner is not going to back him on it. So I think that they're going to try to do the work now to make sure that they prevent that. If they have to go forward with it, I can see them making it work, make it temporary uh, during this economic times, make it a temporary carve-out, um, trying to find ways which they can find a compromise of some sort, but or they'll try to find if they have other votes in other places, um, whether they can partner with the bloc or others. So I think they're prepared that this may come up more and more with the NDP. I mean, Jagmeet Singh is going to show that he's relevant, that he can force change. I mean, there's a problem as much as it, it works out. Uh, at the same time, he wants to prove that he's not just a lackey of the liberal government so this will be him trying to strong arm a little bit but i think the government is prepared for that and we'll try to find ways to show that look we can compromise we still are going to stick with our plan but maybe there's something we can do in the meantime that either is something that meets them halfway or work with other partners to make sure that can come through Rob, uh, how do you think the government has responded to that? I and mean, we saw the, the, they didn't quite get the bump they wanted from the home heating oil carve out, you know, which came, a lot of pressure from the Atlantic caucus there. And we saw what Ken McDonald did as, as a thank you. And uh, what happens? What do they do if, if, if Parliament forces this on them? Well, we uh, saw the beginning of the atomization of uh, one of the, one of the uh, main planks of, of the Liberal program in, in the carbon tax. Uh, and Mr. Poilievre has seen a vulnerability, and he's gone after more of it, and now it looks like Mr. Singh is going to jump in. It'll be interesting to see where, where the block goes on this. Uh, I, 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 too, noted the, uh, the, the, the attack on, uh, uh, on the block, and, and I, I've noticed in the last two speeches as well, the speech to caucus, which was open to, to us uh, over the weekend, uh, as well as uh, Mr. Poilievre's news conference today, lengthy uh, portions of the speech right off the top are in French. Uh, He is clearly making a play for what he believes to be that kind of nationalist bleu vote 
in, right. in, uh, in Quebec uh, that is soft. They believe that's soft. They know that there aren't votes for, for them on the island of Montreal, but in the regions of Quebec, there's a vote, and they're really going after it. He's not content with 40 right. or 42 percent. He's going after more votes, and they're there in those regions, those blue regions of, uh, of Quebec. Right. Well, no, it's, it's Pierre Paulier versus the world when it comes to this electoral <laughs> map. I mean, he's going after everybody's uh, seats. There's no doubt about it. But Lisa, just if you're the government, uh, you lost this vote on, on the carve out for farmers already in Parliament. And now it's back again. And it sounds like they may very well lose it again unless the Senate amendments satisfy the Bloc Québécois to sort of change their thinking on this. How, how does the government respond to this? I mean, no, it's a minority situation and Parliament rules. But well, how do you think the government uh, deals with this? I don't know how they're going to deal with it, but I can tell you I can see two ways in which this causes them major headaches. The first one, of course, is the fact that the Supreme Court ruling really hinged on the fact that this carbon price was going to apply across the country. And it was a a means of general application that nobody would be left out. And if anyone was left out, then the whole system would be in jeopardy. And I think they have to have a serious look about how little things being chipped out little by little is going to impact that. The second thing that I think is extremely important with respect to the carbon tax is they put it in place in 2015. That's what they they ran on. By the time they go to the polls in 2025, Canadians are going to be asking, other than the climate action payment I receive every month, what else have I accomplished? What has been accomplished with this climate tax? And if we're not seeing anything in terms of meaningful changes in their lives, then they're going to go after the whole policy of being ineffectual and having no impact. So this is a really important moment for them to figure out what to do next. Okay, we want to switch gears just for a second because the other big thing that started today is the long-awaited inquiry into foreign electoral interference. And Commissioner Justice Marie-José Ogg has been asked to investigate the extent to which China, Russia, and other nations, notably India, interfered in the 2019 and 2021 federal elections. Now, as it gets underway, the Conservative Party is objecting to being denied what they claim are the same rights as the Liberals to cross-examine witness and view confidential submissions. Party lawyer Michael Wilson wrote to Justice Ogg saying the Conservative party continues to have serious concerns regarding how the commission has played out thus far. So how does this bode for the integrity of the commission that's just kicking off? Now, Brad, I want to start with you, but I should note the liberals don't have standing here. The government has standing here. So if there's an election tomorrow and this inquiry continues, whoever is the government at the end of the election has standing. The liberal party does not have standing, uh, though various uh, politicians have. So we have this criticism from the conservatives. We have groups such as the Uyghur Rights Project, uh, talking about pulling out if they don't deal with their concerns about Michael Chan and Senator Wu and Han Dong going forward. What kind of a start do you think this is for the foreign interference inquiry? Well, on the conservatives asking and being denied full standing, you know, it is, it is the government, not the liberals in there. And, you know, much to New Democrats and conservative and I guess the bloc too, the liberals have the most seats in the House of Commons. They get to form a government. Uh, and so to the victor go, go, go the spoils. And one of the benefits of being in government is that you, you, know, you, you would get full standing uh, in this inquiry. Uh, you know, Trudeau made a lot of mistakes at the beginning, but it looks, you know, I think it's up and running now. But I, I, I don't think that the criticism from the Conservatives that the whole, to, to besmirch the whole uh, process uh, hopefully will not stand. We have to get on with this. You know, Canada has to do stuff. It has to build things. We're, we're having trouble getting the big stuff right. And, uh, you know, foreign interference is a credible risk for our democracy. And we can't even get a, you know, a bloody inquiry going. It's, it's, it's rather frustrating to watch. So I think for most Canadians, they just want to see 
the, the process unfold a little bit and not politicize it uh, like Polyev is trying to do. Uh, Vandana, you know, the, the, the political parties are going to play politics, but here you have, you know, an extremely vulnerable diaspora group uh, in China, the Uyghurs expressing deep concerns over the way this is going to go and the, what they consider to be the collision of what they want out of this versus the rights of individual politicians who have been accused of having, you know, formal or informal links with China. What, what does that do to this process going forward? And here it is on day one, and by day three, the Uyghurs could withdraw. Well, that's the thing. I think, you know, this public inquiry um, was thought about, so the government's something unique, where over the summer, all parties came together to decide Justice Hogue was the right person. And on day one, you see partisan attacks be, being, being thrown at at the at the process, and this is not what Canadians want. They want to get on with foreign. They want to get on with the inquiry. They want to get to the bottom of it. But also, we'll have to see what comes out of it. Um, I think just because you hire, or just because we have an impartial process, does not mean you know if she disagrees with you or if you don't agree with it, you can do it respectfully. But. It doesn't mean you tear down the system. Now, this public inquiry was given to to Justice Oak. She has to carry it out. Uh, but what I noticed one thing in her ruling in December is this, that she said she won't let, essentially, that the public inquiry be a playground for political football. And I think people have to reflect on that and that she's going to be strict with that. So I think it won't be everything to everyone, but this is what inquiry is. It's not supposed to just answer everyone and how they want it to be done. It's going to be up to Justice Oak to carry out this process. And that process is going to be something that everyone has to agree on. Right. So, so Lisa, we ended up here after the special rapporteur process kind of blew up uh, uh, catastrophically uh, for the government on this. Uh, you know, the political parties are going to do their thing, but uh, on the diaspora group concerns, uh, I mean, how do, you, how do you balance that? I'm not going to criticize the judge in her ruling because it's her ruling and I respect her ruling for what it is. If I were to apply a political lens, though, I would ask myself the question, would I rather have people inside my process that I can control the questions of, meaning that you can rule things out of order, you can temper it down, or do I want them watching from the outside so that every day they say, well, these questions weren't good enough, here are the questions I would have asked, and then continuously raising, I guess, some kind of question about whether or not everything was being covered in this process. And I think equally, both outside parties as well as the, the Uyghurs, like you pointed out, they will have the ability to say, look, you didn't ask about this, 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 and this. And she could have included everybody. It would have been a pain. She would have had to manage more for sure. But at the very least, you would have stopped it from occurring outside the process and keep it all in the house. Right. So, so Rob, I mean, the parties have intervener uh, capacity, right? right? They don't have the full standing, which automatically grants them certain rights. Uh, but the judge did say today that from time to time, she may allow interveners to have access to information, to cross-examine witnesses as necessary. Shouldn't that be enough to satisfy the political parties, considering they all agreed to this process as the path forward after saying the government's plan? It depends. If the inquiry manages to answer the central three questions, what did the government know, when did it know it, and how did it react to attempts to um, uh, influence the, uh, the elections in 2019 and 2021s, if it gets at those answers, then um, the process will have been vindicated. Um, it, it may seem strange to some people that the, that the Conservatives don't have uh, standing 
or, or, but Michael Chong has standing. Right. It, it, it seems strange, though, that the one person, uh, Michael Chong, and, and I think Jenny Kwan as well, who, who uh, were threatened, who ha- did targeted, yeah, targeted, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- that their parties don't have standing, but they do have standing. If you can answer those three questions, the process will be vindicated. But I, I caution people to remember, the terms of reference are looking at those two elections. They're not going to tell us. The inquiry probably isn't going to get at whether or not they were targeted and how they were targeted, because that's not part of the terms of reference. It might be for Mr. Chong to try and get at that, that information by asking government witnesses, but the judge may end up ruling those questions out of but, but one key part of the terms of reference is that it can go where she wants it to go that's as well, right? right? So she that's does, right. She, Brad, she does have latitude, and, and we saw, you know, when she requested, for example, information and documents on India, that she's exercising that latitude, and today the assurances she tried to give people concern that uh, from time to time I'll let people without full standing participate in, in a more meaningful way if it makes sense to their individual uh, role in all of this. Uh, do you think that should be enough, I, or, or it depends how she does it, I guess. Yeah, it, it does depend on how she does it, but it, it should be enough because if a political party or you know a, a, a outside group outside of the government, you know, want to kind of help, not steer it, but you know, maybe uh, kind of direct it from uh, from afar, it, it has that ability because she has the freedom to. She's not confined by uh, rigid terms. She can. So there is there is a uh, an opportunity. For you know, I guess you know, gentle persuasion about where she might go, uh, what she might, uh, uh, you know, what what she might look into, or or, or obviously who, who who's who can participate. So for the conservatives and, and other political parties, again, you, you made the point, but it's it, they do have intervener status, just not full standing. So it's not like they're shut out of the process altogether, and there is the ability to through right. persuasion draw the, the, the justice's attention uh, to particular places. And I think that that, the, that uh, provides, I think, adequate credibility, uh, to Rob's point, to make sure that this process is seen to be credible by the public. Vandana, a quick last word to you. Do you think that's enough uh, to, to assuage some of the concerns being raised on day one? I think this is the issue we've always had with the public inquiry. At the end of the day, there's only so much the public's going to be able to know. And I think some, there are some people who will not be satisfied with it. It doesn't mean that the process wasn't correct. It doesn't mean it was right. But it means that it doesn't mean it was, in, it was not right, sorry. But it more means that there is some information the public will just not be subject to. And there's answers that will have to be internal to the government and top secret clearance and not them. And we knew that from the beginning, which is what was the issue with the public inquiry to begin with. On one last point on diaspora groups, the so one thing I'll just remind everyone is that they are not uniform. Some people will feel very threatened by this. Some people will be worried about increased stigma by this. We can't, you know, just because one group pulls out or feels unhappy does not mean that's how diaspora groups across the country feel. No, that's a very good point. And and if I can indulge one last quick topic and one last quick question, and Lisa, this is to you, because your name is coming up a lot about a suddenly open seat in the Ontario legislature. Any interest? You thinking about running uh, provincially, or is it too soon to say anything one way or another? (laughs) <laughs> no no okay all right thanks for sam for sam begging me though david oh i i'm sorry i figured i look i so i read it in the toronto star so i, I figured i'd ask you about it all right I, my apologies there, Lisa. all right i want to thank the power panel vondana <laughs> connor brad levine lisa Raitt, and rob russo thanks so much gang thanks david
That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.